coming up on this episode of Inside the Epicenter. God has gifts, he has blessings that he wants to give you. And if you are rejecting or resisting or just completely ignorant to the plan of God with regards to Israel and the Jewish people, you're actually missing something. What could happen if evangelical support collapses for Israel in the future? But what can we do now to prevent that? Is there any hope? Welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus, according to Genesis 12, 1 to 3. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and I'm joined again by Joel Rosenberg from Jerusalem, and we're going to continue today our conversation on the last podcast. And if you haven't listened to that podcast, I would urge you just take a break, pause this podcast, and listen to the first part of our conversation. That's going to give you the tools to understand what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk today about the hope that may exist for all of us, despite the declining support of younger evangelicals for the state of Israel and for the Israeli cause. So today, joined by Joel Rosenberg, uh, we're going to address the hope. Joel, welcome. Glad you're with us. Great to be with you, Carl. Shalom from Jerusalem. And uh, you know, I, I so loved season one, but I am already loving. Uh, so much uh, season two of this podcast. I'm, I'm, I tell you, I, I don't use the phrase blown away much. I try to, you know, because in the Middle East with all the explosions and terror, you, know, you don't want to, <laughs> because it's so colloquially American. I, I, and, you know, I know people are listening to this all over the world, but I have been blown away. Let's say I've been uh, super encouraged by the fact that more than two and a half million uh, views and downloads occurred of the, this podcast just last year. And that gives me hope (laughs) that people all over North America, but really all over the world in in dozens of countries are curious. They're looking for sound, solid, serious teaching with a little bit of humor, maybe mixed in, and explanations of what is going on in Israel and throughout the, the Middle East, the region we call the epicenter. So I just want to start off with that headline in the sense that hopeful to me is when you had this idea to, to start this podcast, I was like, no, you know, there's how many bazillions of podcasts, but no, it's probably a good idea. And, you know, we like to say like, if you help one person, then that's good. You know, I'm a busy guy. I don't want to just help one person. I'd love to, if, you know, hopefully help two or five or 10, but uh, to see two and a half million downloads and views um, of this it's podcast unbelievable. tells me we're filling a need. And yeah. so to me, that's a good thing, even though some of the things we have to say are difficult. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And it's been an exciting prospect of having these conversations, which frankly, to all our listeners, this is one of my great privileges in my job as I get to sit you know, every few weeks with Joel for two hours and talk about the things that are on his heart and on the heart of so many of you as you've you know shared your comments and thoughts and uh, and reflections and questions. But uh, this is important stuff. This isn't frivolous entertainment. And even though I hope we do it in an entertaining way, uh, this is really equipping and teaching and providing the tools for the evangelical church and for anyone really to understand the complexities a little bit better in the Middle East and in what we call the epicenter. Well, I love it as well, Carl. I look forward to it and I I love these conversations. And even if people weren't listening in that level still, um, when I was younger, you know, I would have really craved finding something like this. I, I did not grow up in a home, you know, that my parents talked about Israel. They came Mm. to faith in Jesus Christ Mm. when I was six years old. Uh, My mom first. She's from a Gentile background. And then my dad from an Orthodox Jewish background, he came to faith about six months later. And they started growing very rapidly in their faith and unfortunately dragging me off to church. It it was useful to me in my salvation and my character over time. I wasn't particularly thrilled at the moment. 
But I'm just saying, you know, I don't know how you were raised, but I wasn't raised in a family that talked about Israel. I know many people, a lot of people on the Joshua Fund staff, for example, you know, were raised in churches and with parents and grandparents who just loved Israel and talked about it all the time. I had a, a friend uh, growing up in, in junior high school and high school and a little girl. We were just friends and she loved Israel and she was so excited that I was Jewish. I'm like, why? I, I just didn't understand what she was talking about. Her parents loved Israel. They loved the Jewish people. They were so kind to me and they were best friends with my parents. Anyway, uh, her husband eventually worked for the Joshua Fund, and her parents worked for the Joshua Fund. And and so I'm just saying, that was not my family. I didn't even know I was Jewish until the fifth grade. Like, uh, we, like your name is Joel <laughs> Rosenberg. You must have been the dumbest kid in the class. <laughs> Apparently, I was. I mean, I don't think there's any question. But um, not everybody is brought up with this yeah. type of teaching. Yeah, Some of us come to it later, thank God, but it's a thing. Yeah, we've talked about that in the past, and I would urge anybody who wants to know more about that side of uh, your story to listen to some of our earlier podcasts and to get to that. But, you know, I mean, it gets back to this idea that we touched on in the last episode about parents, grandparents, and generational exposure to Israel and to understanding the biblical evangelical view of Israel. And it's challenged today by some of the data that came up in our last podcast. And that was the survey that you and uh, some of your other colleagues had taken about declining support for Israel among younger, under 30 evangelicals. And that raised many, many concerns for us, which we spent a very profitable hour talking about in the last podcast. But today, I think we all need a dose of hope because at the core of the gospel message that evangelicals subscribe to is hope. Hope for today, hope for tomorrow, hope for us to see good things come, even though we know we need to be prepared for hard things. What is the hope that we have as evangelicals and where do you see it coming from? Well, let me start with a wonderful verse of Scripture, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome, Romans chapter 12. I believe it's verse 12. Paul says to be joyful in hope hmm. and patient in affliction and faithful in prayer. So we have hope. The Bible says the gospel is our hope, That hope that no matter how bad this life is, we're going to heaven if we've asked Jesus Christ to forgive our sins and to redeem us and to save us, that we would be born again, and that this hope is an anchor for our souls. In the whipping winds and the and the tossing waves of life, especially, I would say, in the 21st century, we've got crashing waves, whether it's the pandemic and all of its attendant issues or geopolitical things or, or racial divides or all kinds of problems, economic trials and so forth, uh, wars, rumors of wars. The gospel message that there is a future coming that is not going to be this horror show, but Christ is going to reign on the planet and we're going to, you know, be his children and, and live in a world that we've always dreamt of and wanted, but it's not here yet. That's our hope. And this hope is an anchor. Hmm. It's an anchor. So we don't get pulled in every which way. We may get battered, but we don't have to shift off of bedrock truth. And it's interesting because the Lord speaks to the nation of Israel in Jeremiah chapter 29, specifically about hope. And he says, I know the plans that I have for you. And he's speaking about Israel. Now, yes, I think that's a principle. God has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. And that's good. But he's actually specifically talking about the nation of Israel, which was an exile at the time in Babylon because they had blown it so chronically, so rebelled against uh, the word of God, the, the principles of God, the teachings of God, rejected the love of God, that God said, okay, there are consequences to this. I'm going to drive you out of the land. But in Jeremiah 29, God says specifically to the nation of Israel, I know the plans that I have for you, plans to give you a future and a hope. You know, he says specifically, it's not to harm you, it's to give you a future and a hope. So, the main hope here is that the God of Israel has not abandoned Israel and is not going to abandon Israel. And even if 
large swaths of the church, the true born-again evangelical church in the United States or anywhere else in the world, if large swaths of the church do not understand and do not get God's love and plan for Israel, it's not going to change God's love and plan for Israel. We know from the the 42nd chapter of, of the book of Job that nothing can thwart God's plans. You can rebel against them, you can resist them, but you can't thwart them, right? God has a plan for the nation of Israel. It'd be useful for the church to understand it and be part of it because that's where the blessings of God come when we are flowing with the jet stream of the Holy Spirit, not trying to swim, fly, drive, boat against the jet stream of the Holy Spirit, right? And people who resist God's plan for Israel, God may still, you know, he still loves you, but he is not going to bless you in certain areas. You're missing something. It's not just that you may do something or think something negative. We talked about that in the last one. The bad theology leads to bad consequences. Mm-hmm. But bad theology also, and specifically when it comes to Israel, for whom a blessing is offered to those who bless Israel and a curse is offered to those who want to curse it. But even if you're just neutral, that's not proactively blessing. And so you are missing something. God wants to do something in your life. I'm not here to say he's going to give you a Rolex or a big mansion in Malibu or, you know, your own Gulfstream 5 or, you know, I'm not talking about prosperity gospel. I don't know what the blessings of God would be in the life of each listener, each viewer that's watching and listening to this program. But God has gifts, he has blessings that he wants to give you. And if you are rejecting or resisting or just completely ignorant to the plan of God with regards to Israel and the Jewish people, you're actually missing something. And Mm -hmm. I don't want you to miss that. I don't know what it is. Only God knows what's wrapped up. Sometimes they're little gifts. Sometimes they're big gifts. You know, and I'm not saying they're necessarily monetary, or that, so I just want to be clear. But I want everything that God has for me. Sure. So I know which side of that equation I want to be on. <laughs> I want to be on right. Yeah. Well, we've got that. And the fundamental hope for those of us who are engaged in this right now is that, that God has a plan that we can trust, we can believe, and we can know that God's plan will happen. It's a good plan. It's a plan for that blessing. And I agree with you that that doesn't necessarily translate into any particular kind of blessing, that God's not just a vending machine where he's going to give us this thing, but God is committed to a plan that does center on hope and that will give us confidence to believe God's plan for that. So that's great. Despite the challenging data that your survey brought out about only 29% of younger evangelicals, either moderately or stronger supporting Israel, despite that challenging reality, there are other hopes, aren't there? There are other things that we can look at that survey and, and take from that. So let's start on that journey right now. So, okay, good. So I want to talk about six reasons for hope, but I think we need to start with first uh, five reasons that young people are way different than their parents and grandparents about Israel. So the first episode of this series, we we looked at the facts that the gap is so wide, that the generation gap is wide, and whether depends on your benchmark, but it's not good. <laughs> um, not good. Only 12% of evangelical young people under the age of 30 strongly support the nation of Israel. And you, you made the point, even if you add in, I somewhat support Israel, I lean towards Israel, whatever, you only get up to about 28, 29%. So that's not good compared to the parents and grandparents who have overwhelmingly historically uh, supported Israel. So what are some of the reasons? Okay. There's a lot of reasons. I'm going to pick five, and I just want to make clear, Carl, that I want listeners to hear I'm just doing this analytically. This doesn't come with condemnation. Right. We just right. have to say some of these things and then say, okay, well, how do we fix that? Right. You, you, if you're a doctor, you could 
you know, if this person has uh, cancer, you have to tell them. But if there's hope, if there are, if there's a way to, you know, in a range of different tools and 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 procedures and medicines available to try to fight and defeat that cancer, you first have to tell somebody this is the situation. You're in jeopardy, but there may be a chance to change this. Yeah. Here are a range of options. This is what we'd like to do. And, and, and you need to be kind and, but also clinical when you talk about these things. Yeah. Before we get to that, because I know everyone's going to want to know what those five challenging differences are and then how that can be, you know, counteracted by the six opportunities for hope. I want to take a quick break right here because we've got some important information we want our, our listeners to listen to. And we come right back. We're going to do those five. This is Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund. Scripture tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Would you take a moment right now to pray for our staff at the Joshua Fund as they work to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus? We're in a battle against the evil one, and your prayers make all the difference. So, Joel, we just talked about the need, the necessity for hope in the midst of this challenging time, but also the, the, the fundamental biblical reality for that hope, and that this generational difference, you wanted to point out five elements of why that difference is there. What, what were those five things that you were going to bring up? So is this part of a series of columns that I wrote for All Israel News in December, trying to work my way through all that uh, challenging and disappointing data? And so I wrote this column called Five Painful Reasons Why mm. Young Evangelicals Are Drifting, Even Turning Away from Israel. So let's just go through them quickly and then feel free to pull on the threads. The first one, again, no condemnation. We're just being analytical. Right. The first reason is that parents and grandparents see the world very different from the young people when it comes to Israel is because of parents and grandparents. Hmm. Okay, this is not Ouch. true in all cases, but it is true in many cases, which is that the older generation is not effectively passing on what they believe at the core of who they are to their children and grandchildren. Hmm. And this does come as the first and foremost responsibility of parents and grandparents, right? We start in Deuteronomy chapter 6. When we hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. That's the most famous verse for Jewish people in the entire Bible, right? For New Testament evangelicals, we would say John 3.16 is our most important verse. For God so loved the whole world, including Israel, that he gave his only son, Jesus, to be the Messiah. That whosoever, a Jew like my father or a Gentile like my mother, whosoever believes in Jesus as the Messiah, shall not perish, go to hell forever and ever, but shall have everlasting life. That's the most famous, important verse for the New Testament for Christians. But in the Old Testament, for Jewish people in the Hebrew Scriptures, Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the key. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Everybody mm. learns it. Okay? Now, what happens after that verse? Parents are commanded to instruct their children to understand the God of Israel and how the nation of Israel is important to God, who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob really is, and how he wants us to interact with him. Okay. Now, the Apostle Paul tells us right that all Scripture is profitable, it's important, and it's useful for Correction and rebuke and teaching and, and training. Why? So that the man or woman of God can be thoroughly equipped to do the will of God, to do good works. So if we as parents don't take Deuteronomy 6 seriously, we will fail to pass on to our children, grandchildren, to the next generations, why Israel matters. Right? If, if Israel didn't matter, why is it in the Bible? Why so much of it of the story of Israel in the Bible, right? And what's fascinating to me is how many churches, and we're going to get to churches, but let's start with parents, parents and grandparents. So, right. okay, so 
you know, God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Okay. Now, if parents and grandparents aren't doing it, it doesn't get done. Now, why are parents and grandparents, many, not all, why are they not teaching the younger generation about God's central love and unique love for Israel? Why does he call Israel the apple of his eye? That's pretty Mm -hmm. important to him, right? Why does he call himself the God of Israel? And the main reason, there, there are a number, but the main reason that one generation isn't doing a good job passing it to the next generation is because the parents and grandparents think that the pastors and youth group leaders and Sunday school teachers are doing it. So point number two is that churches and Sunday schools and youth groups are failing in a number of ways, you know, and and this is true about lots of areas of the gospel itself, much less biblical morality, but it's failing to communicate this. Now, why? So let's say you go to a church where you're like, no, our pastor's awesome. He loves Israel. He teaches from the Old Testament and the New Testament. He he takes us on trips to Israel. He shares his heart about his love for Israel. Great. So why do your kids not love Israel? Mm, I don't know. We go to a good church. Yeah, but are your kids going to the service? Are they listening to those sermons of that pastor that you love? Right now, and your pastor may not teach that, but let's say he does, the kids are probably not in that service. Yeah. They're probably in a Sunday school class or a youth group. Now, what's being taught there? It's very rare in my experience and in talking to pastors and ministry leaders and youth pastors, it's very rare that youth pastors or Sunday school teachers are systematically teaching through the Bible. Mm-hmm. Right? They're dealing mm-hmm. often topically how do we deal with temptation? Now, what does the Bible teach us about how to handle a bully? You know, what's the gospel or what's missions or what, you know, there's lots of things to talk about. Sexual purity, how not to use coarse joking or the poison of our mouths um, and these days our thumbs on social media. Most Sunday schools and youth groups are, are not talking about God's heart and plan for Israel. So parents who are even in a great church with great pastors, they're not getting any of that. Their, their children aren't getting that. Just a few others real quickly and not so much detail because it becomes obvious. Christian high schools, universities, Bible colleges, and seminaries mostly are not teaching about why Israel is so important to God and why it should be important to the church, which is interesting because in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, look at the nation of Israel. Now, the Corinthians were a pretty messed up church, bless their hearts. <laughs> they had a lot of issues going on. And Paul is saying, you need to look at the nation of Israel. You're saying, Paul, why? Don't they need to read Dobson? Don't they need to? There's a lot of things, Josh McDowell, apologetics. There's a lot of things that the messed up church of Corinth and churches like it, they need. But why are you making an emphasis? Look at the nation of Israel. Because there's lessons there. God used one nation one people group, to reveal himself, his ways, his hopes for people, and then how he interacts with people who either listen and get his favor or resist and reject him and have to be you know, challenged or even punished. Mm-hmm. So if a Christian high school, university, Bible college, seminary isn't doing that, right? it goes back to this point we made about Romans chapter 10. Paul talks about the gospel. How can people understand? How can they believe right. the gospel if nobody tells them? How can they hear if nobody tells them? How can somebody tell them if they're not sent? Well, that's true of every theological point, including Israel. If How are people going to believe something about God's plan and purpose and love for Israel if nobody tells them? Yeah. And you can take a whole seminary. I mean, you've been to seminary. I have not. But I've talked to lots of seminary professors and my wife just graduated from her, you know, got her master's degree from a seminary in leadership. She took the Old Testament survey class. You're mm-hmm. trying to get through the entire, <laughs> what, 39 books of the Old Testament in, what, 15 weeks, 20 weeks? Like, you're speed reading through it. Now, that's something, 
Yeah. But you're not stopping to really process yeah. any of that. Two last points would be um, uh, secular schools and universities. Okay, if you send yeah. your kids and your grandkids to a secular school or university, not only are they not proactively getting good biblical teaching, they're probably getting uh, very hostile, very uh, poisonous teaching, as well as what's going on on the campus, at least in the United States, is uh, increasingly hostile to yeah. Israel and, frankly, increasingly anti-Semitic. And fifth of the five would be the media. You know, yeah. <laughs> there's some wonderful media out there, but most of it is so bad, so biased against Christians, much less, but also against Israel and against uh, the, the Jewish people and what's going on in the Middle East that you, you cannot trust that your kids and grandkids are going to get a biblical worldview yeah. of the centrality of Israel and God's plan and purpose if they're watching and listening to the news. And most of them are watching the mainstream news anyway. It's one of the yeah. reasons that we started all Israel news and all Arab news to give that type of coverage to people who want it, but also why we started this podcast. So yeah. those are the five... Uh, painful reasons. Um, yeah, those are, are painful. Others. There are others, and it but. seems to me like in summary that we like to sometimes reference the ideas that, you know, the ideas have consequences, that, that water flows downhill. That first of all, when you're looking at a spiritual enemy against Israel who right. hates what God loves, you know, that produces a, a worldly culture that then the media that is birthed out of that worldly culture, then the secular institutions that correspond with that culture and that media bias around that, you know, puts pressure on the church of God, puts pressure on pastors and seminaries and Christian institutions. And honestly, and I think this is a good point you made, these aren't intentional acts on many, many parts of churches or anything else to be hostile to the message, but that culture and that constraint of the messaging really just kind of continues to funnel down to the individual families and lives that we're talking about here. Grandparents, parents, and children are not getting the good biblical exposure to the message and the hope that God has for Israel because of all of that flow, that, that the ideas and the, and the influences, it has its outcome. And the outcome that we've seen in this data. So, so I love that your analysis of the causes is so compelling and it gets so personal, right? There is one more that I you know there's lots more, but there's one more that you and I have talked about, which we should connect here to these five. And that is those Christian leaders who are super pro Israel mm -hmm. sometimes can cause some damage with young people by being mm. so pro-Israel and never talking in a kind and loving and compassionate way about Palestinians or about Arabs in general or about Muslims in general. Because sometimes older Christians who already love Israel and they, they're sort of assuming that everybody within earshot of them sort of is resonating and saying, aha, amen, with what they're saying. But young people are very skeptical and very cynical increasingly in our culture. And they are not saying amen, even if they hear a quick pro-Israel message, especially if it feels unbalanced. Now, if you ask them, if we polled, most young people can't say, well, I don't know. I heard that guy who was all pro-Israel and all oh, Israel so wonderful. We need to pray for Israel, blah, blah, blah. They might not be able to recognize why it didn't resonate well with them. Mm. Maybe it's just because they've got a rebellious heart. Maybe they're, the young person is, you know, sort of gone off the deep end theologically, personally, morally. And, you know, yeah, he's attending church or she's attending church, but she or she is not really walking with Christ and doesn't really want Christ's truth in his or her life. That could be. But it could be just that it feels unfair. It feels mm. off. And one of the points that you and I make all the time in everything that we do at the Josh Fund is – we need to proactively address that young people need to hear that God loves Palestinians, he, that he yes. loves the Lebanese, that he loves yes. the Jordanians and the Egyptians. And, and we need to demonstrate that also because it's the right thing to do, but also because it's going to help 
even pastors. I know a pastor, Carl, out in the Midwest, and he loves Israel. And for years took people from his church to Israel, but then stopped for many, many, many years. And it's because of this that he just heard this whole thing as one side or the other. He hadn't actually heard someone talk about Israel, but also show love and compassion for Palestinians. And when we did a conference at his church a number of years ago, he didn't attend. <laughs> he came to a little bit of it. And most of his staff didn't. And most of the people in the church didn't. We used the building, but most of the people didn't come mm. from his church. And we, a colleague and I you know, had meeting with him afterwards. And it's like, what happened there? He goes, I love Israel, but I have heard people be so strident. Yeah. About Israel. And a lot of my staff, they don't get it. And I just didn't, I didn't want to say no to you, but I just didn't want to promote it. But the parts I heard, Joel, you and your team and, the, and your colleagues, you showed so much love and compassion. Yes, that's the message. Yeah. That I can support. And he started taking people back to Israel and he started talking about it again because he'd heard, yeah. it wasn't rocket science. I'm not saying we had some unique formula, but I'm just saying he hadn't heard someone Talk with balance and a biblical balance. Exactly. And I think that's a great lead into our prospects for hope in this. You know, we've, we've analyzed the facts that this is a fact that the support for Israel is dramatically less among younger evangelicals. We've looked at those causes that we just identified, but that story and several other things give us some reason for hope. And, and I just want to say before you get into that, this is exactly why the Joshua Fund exists, why you and your wife Lynn founded this organization to demonstrate to the world that the message of loving Israel and her neighbors and her enemies, frankly, is a biblical message and one that needs unfortunately, to be re-identified and re-communicated to the American Evangelical Church. And frankly, between you and me and the 2.5 million listeners that we have right now. That's why we started this podcast is that more people would understand that this is a biblical message. We are not a political organization. We are not trying to choose sides either or, but we are both. And, and I think that that is extremely important as far as starting the conversation around hope for the facts that we've seen on the ground and not just painting the darkest of pictures, but to say there is some hope here. So Joel, why don't you take us into that side of the equation? Because we don't want to leave people feeling, you know, this is a hopeless situation. Right. Right? Happy to do it. So this is another, it's also this uh, coming from um, the last column I did in this series uh, in December. This one was called Despite Sobering New Poll Data, There Are Six Reasons to Be Hopeful that the church can equip young evangelicals with a deep love for Israel and the Jewish people. So reason for hope, number one, the Bible commands us to be hopeful. <laughs> That's how we actually started. And we can trust the God of Israel to use us, to help us to train the next generation. Uh, again, I, I already mentioned uh, Romans 12, 12. Paul makes it clear in Philippians 1, 6 that God himself takes the responsibility to bring us spiritually to the point of full maturity. Yes, mm. pastors, uh, youth leaders, Sunday school teachers, parents and uh, grandparents, schools, all of us play a role in helping equip and disciple someone. But ultimately, God himself says he's going to bring us to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. And that's a reason for hope. If you go on, you look at all the promises God made to Israel and the Jewish people and you realize that even a church or large swaths of the evangelical church that don't get it, and we're not even talking about the mainstream liberal theological churches and denominations and seminaries and Bible colleges. We're just talking about evangelicals. Even large swaths of evangelicals not getting it, God is still going to keep his promises. Psalm 121 verse 4, he who watches over Israel will neither sleep nor slumber, right? Zechariah 2.8 for thus says the Lord of hosts, and he's speaking about the nation of Israel, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. We mentioned mm. that before. He talks about how he's going to uh, gather the Jewish people, bless the Jewish people, rebuild the nation of Israel, and how he's going to judge nations that 
you know, common attack and divide uh, Israel. In Romans eleven twenty six, the Bible says, Paul says, all Israel will be saved. So God is going to do a great work. And the fact that Israel exists is evidence of this. Look, I've done a lot of study on the church and Israel. I've talked to a lot of pastors and theologians. The vast majority of the church worldwide did not believe that Israel would be reborn in 1948. John MacArthur did. His parents did. And there were many that did, but most did not. Mm-hmm. The Catholic Church did not believe this. Mostly the Presbyterian Church, the Methodist Church, they were not teaching this. They didn't believe it. But God did it anyway. So that's the first thing is that God commands us to be hopeful, so we ought to be. And the reason for that hope ultimately is that he is doing this work, okay? Reason for hope number two is uh, there are organizations like the Alliance for the Peace of Jerusalem, right? The organization I mentioned mostly in the last episode. But these are evangelical leaders who are doing, you know, we're, we're commissioning this type of polling. We're having conferences. We're creating videos to support not to supersede, but to support other ministries, other pastors and ministry leaders, to give them tools. How do we talk about these issues? That brings us to, you know, obviously a ministry like the Joshua Fund. We're we're reason number three. I, I, I want to be humble and, you know, put the other's issues first. Obviously God first and the alliance I put second. But you've already made this point. The Joshua Fund exists not only to proactively invest in the church in Israel and the epicenter, uh, and to strengthen her, encourage the local yeah. believers to walk with the Lord, and but to educate Christians all over the world, North America for sure, but all over the world, to truly understand this. This is a big problem, yeah, and it's going to take an awful lot of work. We've been doing this 15 years, and uh, you could say we're losing ground. Okay, but this look, we know that the Bible says that the church is going to become apostate increasingly and that people are going to turn away from the truth. So we're looking for the remnant. My objective isn't to think that every Christian in the world is going to understand this. I realize that. But look at what the Joshua One has done over the last 15 years, things we've talked about already, but investing $80 million yeah. to strengthen the church in the Middle East, including Israel, but also that's part of that 80 million was to educate the church around the world. Obviously this podcast with two and a half million uh, views and listens, uh, epicenter conferences. We haven't had uh, one in a, in a number of years, but we've had them in Jerusalem and Christians from all over the world have come. We've had them all over the United States, uh, Philadelphia, San Diego, Albuquerque, New Mexico. We've had them overseas. We've had them in Germany and in the Philippines. And I suspect in time, uh, the Lord will continue to have these epicenter conferences, possibly by video more than ever. I'm encouraged, and uh, we should do this in a different podcast, but we need to talk about how the Joshua Fund is using video to get millions and millions and millions of people watching. Sometimes they're short, but things that we're like, wow, people are watching. If we put short video clips two, three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, people are watching them. So this is encouraging to me. You know, Joel, Uh, I remember, just to make a quick point here, I remember at one point one of your old employers used to use his radio program, uh, Rush Limbaugh, and one of the things that he said was he did not make people conservative, but he was a voice that when people listened on the radio, they could say, Yes, that's exactly what I've always believed, but I've never heard people say it that way. And when you speak on this podcast and in other places that I've heard you speak, I've had more people come up to me and say, finally, I hear somebody who's saying exactly what I've always believed, that God loves Israel as the apple of his eye, and he loves the neighbors. And I think that's such an important point of hope for all of us, is that when we speak this message, when when God enables you to go out and do this, and when we're able to do this podcast, God is using that to affirm in people's lives when they tune in. That's what I've always believed. I think that's true. And Rush did say that. But, you know, Rush and I used to talk about this. If he was only reaching people who already agreed, but were looking for validation, 
his audience wouldn't have been as big, but more importantly, his influence wouldn't have been as great. Right. Uh, now, I, you know, if, if you if you hate Rush Limbaugh, I'm sorry. Uh, I you know he was a, he was a dear friend, and um, so. But but here's my point: if our podcast only encourages those who already believe but haven't quite heard this way or didn't know. That would be good because we should strengthen what remains. We The Bible mm-hmm. talks about teaching and even teaching over and over again to people who already believed because this is why Paul went back and visited churches and retaught what he had taught them before because we need reinforcement. Yeah. But I would not be satisfied long term uh, if the Lord tarries that we only reach people who, who believe. And I think – uh, I'm encouraged that 30% of those who are listening to this and best of the analysts we can tell are young people under the age of 35 because that's telling me that podcasting is not primarily an older person's um, technology. I mean, it could be, and there are many who, who enjoy it, but it tends to be you know people who are in their 50s and younger who mostly are listening to podcasts. And then if you talk about YouTube – this, again, it tends to be a younger demographic is watching. What I am encouraged by is the podcasting that you and I are doing, but also the video clips that the Joshua one is putting out on YouTube of teaching sometimes 15 years old, 10 years old, uh, uh, teaching from these conferences all over the world. You know, the Joshua one staff, the communications team, is sort of dusting off some of the old classics of the teaching and saying, okay, we gave that teaching at a conference 12 years ago, but it's relevant today. This is totally. evergreen material. I wonder if there's a generation that didn't even exist or what, you know, they were children when that conference happened. And it was a small conference, several thousand people maybe. And maybe, you know, what about a person who's a Christian who lives in Kenya or China mm. or Australia or Brazil or Honduras? They didn't get to those conferences. So again, this is a great, I think, tool. And we're seeing the response. If we were doing all this work and nobody was paying attention, you know, I mean, Jeremiah himself was a prophet who basically um, after the generation of King Josiah, who was listening to Jeremiah and was implementing a lot of reforms and trying to call the nation of Israel back, after Josiah was gone, nobody was listening to Jeremiah. He was preaching into the wind, nobody was listening, uh, at least nobody was responding, we would still do it. So those are a few ways. I, I Just a couple more. Again, new digital media, what all Israel News is doing, what all Arab News is doing. There's so much hostile media out there, you can't just rail against it. I mean, you can, but our view was we ought to try to build something that for people who are interested – it provides credible, serious, truthful, factual, balanced news and analysis from a biblical worldview, uh, and, and unashamedly so. There's also a wonderful uh, program called Passages. I won't get into it so much now. I think we should probably do a show on it at some point. But Love that. Passages is a evangelical Christian organization funded mostly by Jewish people, interestingly enough, non, that are not believers in Jesus, but it's designed to take evangelical young people over on a trip to Israel, usually several weeks, maybe a month, and really cover the land, hear lectures from lots of different perspectives, meet Jews, meet Arabs. But it's designed to fill this very gap. Yes. Like what did you not get in Sunday school, not get in youth group, not get in church that you really ought to know? Let's do it in a fun way. Let's do it in a creative way. But let's also equip you that you can go back and become someone who can explain this in whatever spheres of influence you have. Yes. And as I described in this article, there, you know, Passages has taken more than 8,000 young evangelicals here to Israel to go through this process. And I think it's awesome yeah. – yeah, my daughter-in-law, when she was a student at UCLA, did that program and went to Israel. And um, uh, probably one of the most articulate and passionate young people I know for Israel and just loves the nation. So I think you're right. That's a profound reason for hope. Amen. The, the last thing I would just say is we've, we, uh, I mentioned, I won't get into this really, but there are, for people who can't 
go to Israel, and certainly during COVID, it's been very difficult for the last several years. We ourselves and Joshua Quinn have had to postpone several tours that we hoped to bring people. You yourself, Carl, have had uh, – how many times have you been thwarted? You know, I feel like <laughs> – it's been a dozen, but probably only four or five times that I've actually tried to make plans to go. But it's a challenging time. Yeah. So, again, that puts an emphasis on online education. And mm. I, I mentioned a few other um, you know, streaming platforms and other things. Uh, again, going back to all Israel news, we're doing tours of Israel, of parts of Israel. And uh, we're doing seminars and we're doing Q&A sessions. And, and the Joshua Fund is as well. And my point is... There's nothing like actually being able to come into the land of Israel and do a Joshua Fund tour and, and see it. Or, you know, with your pastor um, ministry uh, that you trust, we've brought thousands and thousands of Christians through the land over the last 15 years. But in the absence of being able to do that, we've actually been connecting through the Joshua Fund and All Israel News with millions. And that's encouraging to me. Again, I don't want to put all my you know eggs in the data and uh, uh, analytics basket, but it's one way of at least assessing: is there curiosity out there, right? Yeah. Because what if you turned Romans ten around? What if you said, "Well, we're out there, we're preaching, we're teaching, we're doing, but nobody's hearing, nobody's listening, nobody wants this information." That's painful to any mm. Christian communicator, but when you see actual data. That's telling you people from all over the planet, including Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain and Egypt, are watching our material, are listening, are going, hmm, that's encouraging. And we need to do more. We need to build on that. But these are six reasons that I feel hopeful, the most important of which is that the God of Israel isn't going to be swayed, even if the Mm -hmm. entire church turns against Israel, that's not going to happen, but even if all young people, all Christian young people turned against Israel or didn't care, that's not going to change God's heart and plan. But it's going to harm the young people who aren't getting God's blessings. They've left Christmas presents under the tree, as it were, or they haven't even come into the house you know, they've run away and they don't even know there are presents right under the tree waiting for them. And they don't even know what they don't have because they've just pushed God and his plan away. And that's yeah. sad to me. And it's one of the reasons that that motivates me to do the work we're doing. Yeah. Motivates us, Joel. It really does. And it it constantly comes back to the challenge is real. The consequences of that challenge and it, its unchecked impact is also real. But the hope, the the underlying, unshakable, foundational hope is, uh, dare I say, more real that the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan will not be shaken and will not change. But it's an encouragement to those of us, and I want to encourage you with this, that we know that the the, the way in which God is moving is a fulfillment of everything he's ever promised. And he's using these technologies and these organizations and, and the passion of so many to kind of continue to address this challenge. Uh, we don't know exactly what the future holds. Nobody does except God alone, except the father alone. And uh, when we see his fulfillment coming around with us, that also gives us hope. So I truly want to thank you for the, the time we've had a chance to, in both of these episodes, to analyze the current state of things, the challenges that come along with that, the consequences of, of those uh, forces that are making that happen, but also to remind our listeners that found at the core of what we believe as evangelicals and, and what the Bible says is true is a hope that is unshakable. And uh, I want to encourage everyone who, who lives in a culture and in a place and maybe has children or relatives or even Christian friends who are uh, articulating a, a hostile position against Israel, take hope, take heart, expose people to this message, because this is a message of love. This is a message that comes straight from the center of the gospel. And uh, Joel, I want to thank you for giving us uh, a great teaching today, great lesson about how to remain hopeful in the midst of all of this. So uh, thanks so much for all of us here at the podcast and everyone who's listening. 
Well, it's been an honor, and I'm grateful, Carl, that you're on this team and you had this idea to do this podcast, and it's uh, bearing much more fruit than me of little faith even had. Even a blind squirrel finds an acorn every now and then, brother. Thank you very much. To our listeners, if you've loved, as frankly I have, listening to how God is moving in the epicenter, how there is hope in the midst of challenging circumstances, as Joel has talked about, through the Joshua Fund and through other organizations, head over to our website at joshuafund.com and sign up for our newsletter. Sign up for the communication that Joel has been talking about that is educational and that is helpful and motivational and equipping you for the things that you encounter in your days as you communicate these things. Through our emails and other communications, you'll hear encouraging stories of what God is doing to change lives, to change hearts in the epicenter that will surely bless you as well. And as always, if you've heard anything on this podcast, the articles that Joel has referenced, the the survey that we covered in the last podcast, and, and some of the other issues uh, relative to epicenter conferences or anything else that, that are out there, you go to our uh, show notes at the bottom of this podcast where you're seeing it or our website at thejoshuafund.com. Once again, thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this life-changing and even world-changing organizational movement uh, in this podcast by listening and by supporting what we're doing. Uh, For Joel Rosenberg, the staff of the Joshua Fund and all of the other uh, things that we're doing, I'm Carl Muller. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg. Do you want to better understand the Bible and give biblical answers to those who ask you about your faith? Hi, this is Perseus Poku, host of the Sound Reasoning Podcast Show. Listen to us weekly as we bring the truth often found in the ivory towers of seminary down to the steeple towers of local church. Join me along with many of the nation's top theologians as we offer answers to life tough questions from an apologetic perspective. Subscribe to the show at lifeaudio.com.